Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to reading. Poorly. Well, book five. Guess what it is? You shouldn't have to because you can read the title of the <laughs> you can read the title of the episode. But in case you are listening blind, that's fine. Um, and I don't mean blind like literally blind. Uh, but you know, sometimes something just comes up in your queue and you haven't noticed it. Um, though, I mean, if you are blind, then I don't mean to exclude you either. Um, but, uh, I've been saying for a while, uh, both on the podcast and even longer, um, just personally that I wanted to branch out and do things that are out of my comfort zone. And, um, by that I meant both, you know, just books I hadn't read before, stories I didn't know before, um, and things that would literally make me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and the more moderate version of, um, you know, stories that aren't mine that I don't necessarily relate to. Um, not that I relate to chasing a rabbit into a tree stump and yeah, all of that, or, you know, murders and that stuff. I don't, I don't relate to those stories necessarily either, but they're more familiar to me. Well, I'm going to read one that, uh, is less familiar to me. I have not seen the movie. It does have a movie. It's a very good movie from what I hear. And I think it had Oscar buzz and I should have looked it up to see if it won anything before I did this, but I didn't. I forgot to. Maybe by next time I will have done that. But, um, yeah, I'm going to read 12 Years a Slave. Um, which, give me a second. Of course, I forgot the author, so I want to make sure to get that. Um, okay. Ah, here we go. Twelve Years a Slave. Narrative of Solomon Northrop, a citizen of New York, kidnapped in Washington City in 1841 and rescued in 1853 from a cotton plantation near Red River in Louisiana. <laughs> um, I don't know if that is the whole subtitle or what, but that's what it says here. So, um... Yeah, um, this is actually, if I recall correctly, um, a true or a real, you know, um, a real oral history, if that makes sense, um, a, a story that is as true as the teller could make it, I should say. Um, not that I'm questioning. I'm going to question anything that's happened in it, but, um, you know, any, any, anyone who's recalling like exact dialogue and that stuff is not right. <laughs> um, that that's just the nature of human memory. Uh, so any memoir is going to be as true as the, uh, as the teller is capable of. Um, and now that I say that, I, 
feel like I sound sorry. I just hit my mic. Hopefully that didn't transfer. And if it did, I'll cut it out. Um, any, uh, I, I, I am saying it unfiltered and the way that I am now hearing it makes me feel like I'm questioning, you know, a black person's version of, of events, which I'm not. Um, I'm, uh, I'm well aware that slavery is not great and that this book is going to be very uncomfortable for me to read for several reasons. Um, and possibly uncomfortable for people to listen to. So, um, I don't expect my numbers to be great for this book, but, um, I'm still going to do it to challenge myself, which is the whole point of the podcast. Right. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm not questioning the specific person's, uh, you know, retellings uh, of events. I'm just generally saying, um, that people tend not to remember things exactly. Um, now what I will say is, um, I, I am one of those people who does not remember like conversations, specific words, specific dialogue about things. But I remember in conversations, the impressions that I got from them. Um, I remember if it was an antagonistic conversation or a happy conversation, or, um, if I was frustrated at the end, or if I was, you know, satisfied with the conclusion of the, the conversation and, um, probably, you know, in general, what the, con- what the conversation was about and that kind of thing. So, um, I have absolutely no doubt about any of that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So as I say, um, that it is, uh, I don't even remember how I phrased it at the beginning. Um, but, uh, it's not, you know, written from a series of tape recordings or, you know, found video footage or something. The events, um, I believe are real. Um, and the impressions that they made, I believe are real. And the, um, uh, but just the, you know, some of the little details are valuable for getting the point across of how the impressions were made, but not necessarily exactly what happened. And that is true again of any memoir. And now I feel like I'm going to have to say that at the beginning of any, you know, nonfiction, uh, account that I say, um, not necessarily because I feel like I'm going to be attacked, but just because I want to be honest about how I feel about things, um, as well. So, um, yes, I have heard that, uh, that this is very powerful story. So we're going to go for it. Um, it does have an editor's preface. And I actually, at one point, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to read the editor's preface because, um, I didn't know who this editor was. <laughs> um, I did, what I didn't know was, um, if it was a modern editor and I, you know, I want to keep this public domain. Um, but at the end of the preface, it does say that the editor is, um, uh, contemporary 
from from May 1853 uh, is when the note is dated. The preface is dated, so we should be good there. So I will go ahead and start with that, and then chapter one. So Solomon Northrup's story, Twelve Years a Slave, editor's preface. When the editor commenced the preparation of the following narrative, he did not suppose it would reach the size of this volume. In order, however, to present all the facts which have been communicated to him, it has seemed necessary to extend it to its present length. Many of the statements contained in the following pages are corroborated by abundant evidence. Well, there we go. Um, Others rest entirely upon Solomon's assertion. See? Um, that he has adhered strictly to the truth, the editor at least, who has had an opportunity of detecting any contradiction or discrepancy in his statements, is well satisfied. It has invariably repeated, um, or he has invariably repeated. How did I miss that? Well, because I read poorly. He has invariably repeated the same story without deviating in the slightest particular, and has also carefully peruse the manuscript dictating an alteration whenever the most trivial inaccuracy has appeared. It was Solomon's fortune during his captivity to be owned by several masters. The treatment he received while at the, quote, Pine Woods shows that among slaveholders there are men of humanity as well as of cruelty. Some of them are spoken of with enormous gratitude, or, or with, inor- eh, bleh, with emotions of gratitude. Others in a spirit of bitterness. It is believed that the following account of his experience on Bayou Bo- Whoa, I don't- Booth? I don't know. It's like an O and an E squished together into a single character. I, I've seen it before, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, my guess, because it's French, because Louisiana, um, is that it's uh, Booth, Booth, something like that. Bayou Booth. I don't know. Presents a correct- Oh, um, yeah, it is believed that the following account um, presents a correct picture of slavery in all its lights and shadows um, as it now exists in that locality. Unbiased, as he conceives, by any prepossessions or prejudices, the only object of the editor has been to give a faithful history of Solomon Northrop's life as he received it from his lips. That is interesting words. Those are interesting words coming from the editor himself, who is speaking in third person, which is kind of weird to me. Um, I am sure that he has biases. I am sure that he has uh, predispositions, prejudices, prepossessions, as he says. Um, that doesn't mean he didn't try his hardest, right? <laughs> um, and we can appreciate that, at least. Um, in the accomplishment of that object, he trusts he has succeeded, notwithstanding the numerous faults of style and of expression it may be found to contain. David Wilson, Whitehall, New York, May 1853. <sighs> Narrative of Solomon Northrop. That's what it says on the next page. So, I, I'm, I'm going to call this 12 Years a Slave, and I'm also going to call the author Solomon Northrop. Um, because, well, and, and it's even said that um, the other guy, what was his name? David Wilson is the editor, not the author, right? So, okay. Chapter one. Um, I'm just looking. Um, okay. So I, I'm just going to tell you the additions 
the edition that I'm reading seems to have like, I don't know that I'd call it a summary, but like a list of events from the chapter at, at the, the top of the chapter. Um, so I'm going to skip those just because it would sound like here. I'll read this first one just so you know why it would be weird for me to read this introductory ancestry, the Northrop family, birth and parentage, um, Mintus Northrop marriage with Anne Hampton, good resolutions, chaplain canal, rafting excursion to Canada, farming, the violin cooking, removal to Saratoga, Parker and Perry, Slaves and sla- er, slaves and slavery, the children, the beginning of sorrow. See, that's kind of weird. It actually kind of makes me think of the Winter Soldier from Marvel with the like code words that that you know turn him into a robot uh, or a slave, if you will. Um, that uh, uh, you know the phrases are leading up to something. But um, yeah, I'm not going to read those for every chapter just because it's kind of disjointed. It, it's weird enough listening to me read, right? So, anyway, here we go. Chapter 1. Having been born a freeman and for more than 30 years enjoyed um, enjoyed the blessings of liberty in a free state, and having at the end of that time been kidnapped and sold into slavery, where I remained until happily rescued in month of January 1953, after a bondage of 12 years, it has been suggested that an account of my life and fortunes would not be uninteresting to the public. Interesting humble brag there. Since my return to liberty, I have not failed to perceive the increasing interest throughout the northern states in regard to the subject of slavery. Works of fiction professing to portray its features in their more pleasing as well as more repugnant aspects have been circulated to an extent unprecedented and, as I understand, have created a fruitful topic of comment and discussion. I can speak of slavery only so far as it came under my own observation, only so far as I have known and experienced it in my own person. My object is to give a candid and truthful statement of facts, to repeat the story of my life without exaggeration, leaving it for others to determine whether even the pages of fiction present a picture of more cruel, wrong, or a severer bondage. Let me uh, whether even the pages of fiction present a picture of more cruel wrong or a or a s- s- severer bondage. Um, I'm gonna back up back that sentence up a little bit because I feel like my cadence was weird. My object is to give a candid and truthful statement of facts. To repeat. By the way, there's a colon after facts. To repeat the story of my life without exaggeration leaving it for others to determine, comma, for some reason, whether even the pages of fiction present a picture of more cruel wrong or severe bondage. That is the best I can do on that. <laughs> Cadence. As far back as I have been able to ascertain, my ancestors on the paternal side were s- slaves in Rhode Island. They belonged to a family by the name of Northrop, one of whom, removing to the state of New York, hyphen, new hyphen York, um, settled at Hoosick, okay, um, in Rensselaer County. Ren- Rensel- yeah, I'm gonna say Rensselaer, um, or Rensselaer. I don't know. 
I don't know the counties of New York. Sorry. It's funny because I know more of the geography of New York than your average person where I live because um, I've been, or well, I've lived in New York, but uh, not the city. Um, but I do not recognize that county. He brought with him uh, Mintus Northrup, my father. On the death of this gentleman, which must have occurred some 50 years ago, my father became free, having been emancipated by a direction in his will. Henry B. Northrup Esquire, Esq. of Sandy Hill, a distinguished counselor at law and the man to whom, under providence, I am indebted for my present liberty, and my return to the society of my wife and children is a relative of the family in which my forefathers were thus held to service, and from which they took the name I bear. To this fact may be attributed the, uh, the persevering interest he has taken in my behalf. Okay. I am not going to be able to cover every, like, nuance um, of slavery and of racial connections and tensions and all of that stuff. That is neither my place nor my ability. Um, so um, I am not going to claim to be an expert. Um, I might bring up some things that I've heard other people talking about, people who are more experty than me. Um, I might share experiences that I am aware of from other people. Um, I, I believe I've mentioned on this podcast before, um, particularly during, um, the mysterious affair at styles. I am white. I'm a man in case my voice didn't give it away, uh, which in theory it might not. Um, and, uh, I've mentioned my wife. Um, I, yeah, I, I am fairly unmarginalized, uh, in the United States. So, um, that is part of why this book is challenging. Um, because, uh, it's an experience of someone who has been extremely marginalized. Um, I'm not even sure if that, <laughs> I mean, that certainly doesn't cover everything. Um, but I'm not, I'm not even sure if, you know, the experience of a slave just goes so far beyond marginalization that it's not even worth calling that anymore. Probably. Um, but, uh, anyway, I am going to make an observation that has been placed in my mind by other people who are more, uh, in tune with this and have more personal experience than me. Um, it is great that the slaveholder had in his will to let the people free, but he still owned them in the first place. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of those like, well, by comparison, maybe I don't I'm going to try not to make comments on every little thing that I find repugnant about people because it's going to be a very, very long book if I do that. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm sure, and this is the first episode, right, of this book, um, I'm sure I'll find a groove 
hopefully maybe not um i will attempt to find a groove how about that um where i'm not spending you know the entire uh, the entirety of every episode talking about how uncomfortable i am reading this book <laughs> this is the first episode these are my first impressions this is what you come for <laughs> is me just saying the things that pop into my mind as i read a book and that is what's happening Sometime after my father's liberation, he removed to the town of Minerva, Essex County, uh, New York, where I was born in the month of July, 1808. How long he remained in the latter place, I have not the means of definitely ascertaining. From thence, uh, he removed to Granville, Washington County, near a place known as Slyboro. Or Slyboro, maybe? Depending on the language it's from, or the part of the language it's from. <laughs> um where for some years he labored on the farm of Clark Northrop, also a relative of his old master. From thence he removed to the Alden Farm at Moss Street, a short distance north of the village of Sandy Hill, and from thence to the farm now owned by Russell Pratt, situated on the road leading from Fort Edward to Argyle, where he continued to reside until his death, which took place on twenty on the twenty second day of November eighteen twenty nine. He left a widow and two children, myself and Joseph, an elder brother. The latter is still living in the country of Oswego. Um, Oswego, I think it's Oswego, uh, near the city of that name. My mother died during the period of my captivity. Though born a slave and laboring under the disadvantages to which my unfortunate race is subjected, my father was a man respected for his industry and integrity, as many now living who well remember him are ready to testify. His whole life was passed in the peaceful pursuits of agriculture, never seeking employment in those more menial positions uh, which seemed to be specifically allotted to the children of Africa. Sorry, I had some technical difficulties. Um, if you notice a marked difference in the sound quality between everything that's said before this and now, that's why. Sorry, I, I noticed something weird happening with the recording. It's fixed. Hopefully we're good from here out. Besides giving us an education surpassing that ordinarily bestowed upon children in our condition, he acquired by his diligence and economy a sufficient property qualification to entitle him to the right of suffrage. He, land votes, apparently, at this point. He was accustomed to speak to us in, um, of early life, and although at all times cherishing the warmest emotions of kindness, okay, not necessarily land, but property, and even of affection towards the family, in whose house he had been a bondsman, he nevertheless comprehended the system of slavery, and dwelt with sorrow on the degradation, degradation of his race. He endeavored to imbue our minds with sentiments of morality, and to teach us to place our trust and confidence in him, capitalized, which means God, probably, who regards the humblest as well as the highest of his creatures. Yep. Though interestingly, his was not also capitalized. I'm not going to mention that every time, but how well, maybe I will. <laughs> 
How often since that time was the recollection of his paternal counsels occurred to me while lying in a slave hut in the distant and sickly regions of Louisiana, smarting with the undeserved wounds which an inhuman master had inflicted, and longing only for the grave which had covered him, to shield me also from the lash of the oppressor, in the churchyard at Sandy Hill. Oh, I think I've mentioned this. An humble stone marks the spot where he reposes, after having uh, worthily performed the duties appertaining to the lowly sphere wherein God had appointed him to walk. (sighs) An humble. (laughs) It's probably an archaic grammar thing or something. Usually I hear it with historic. Um, Anne goes before a vowel sound. Um, You know, like an apricot or an alligator. Um, Or even, um, oh, what was I thinking of? Um, Even if the, the word starts with um a consonant but it has a vowel sound at the beginning of it i of course can't think of any examples right now um yeah i can't think of anything sorry um but then there's h which for some reason is considered silent in the case of a and an. I don't know why. And it usually is, H is usually followed by um, a vowel. Or should I say, when H is followed by a vowel, it is considered silent for this purpose. Um, and I'm like, the only way to pronounce this is either with this weird hiccup, an historic or an humble, this weird stop in the middle. It just makes it difficult to say. And I almost said hard, but yeah, it makes it hard to say. Um, Or Cockney. An humble stone. An historic event. Just drop the H altogether. And I, I, I know there are several other English dialects that would drop that H. But to me, it sounds Cockney. Up to this period, I have been principally engaged with my father in the labors of the farm. Um, I had been, sorry, principally engaged. The leisure hours allowed me uh, were generally either employed over my books or playing on the violin, an amusement which was the ruling passion of my youth. It had it has also been the source of consolation since affording pleasure to the simple beings uh, with whom my lot was cast and beguiling my own thoughts for many hours from the painful contemplation of my fate on Christmas day, er, 19 on Christmas day, 1829, I was married to Anne Hampton, a colored girl then living in the vicinity of our residence. A ceremony was performed at Fort Edward by Timothy Eddy Esquire, a magistrate of that town and still a prominent citizen of the place. 
she had resided a long time at Sandy Hill with Mr. Baird, proprietor of the Eagle Tavern, and also in the family of Rex Alexander Proudfit of Salem. This gentleman, for many years, had presided over the Presbyterian Society at the latter place, and was widely distinguished for his learning and plenty. Plenty. Piety. <laughs> Turn that I into an L and then just added an N for some reason. Widely distinguished for his learning and piety. Anne still holds in grateful remembrance the exceeding kindness and excellent counsels of that good man. She is not able to determine the exact line of her descent, but the blood of three races mingles in her veins. It is difficult to tell whether the red, white, or black predominates. Oh, so she must have some Native American and then European and African. Um, the union of them all, however, in her origin, has given her a singular but pleasing expression, such as is rarely, rarely to be seen, though somewhat resembling, yet she cannot um, properly be styled a quadroon, a class to which um, I have omitted to mention my mother belonged. Um, so I believe this is among the distinctions um, that I do not know with any sort of textbook accuracy, but there's, um, th there was among slaves and then, um, and not just in the United States. I think I remember it being a big deal in Haiti as well. Um, with the, the, um, French slaves, um, I mean, African slaves, but the French being the colonizers there, um, that there was this complicated system of like, okay, well, you're full-blooded African, or you are half-blooded African and white, or you have like three quarters, <laughs> three quarters one and one quarter the other, or then you have other other mixes and it, it's complicated and they all had names for some reason. People just arbitrarily decided that all of this mattered enough to name it. Um, I think that is what Quadroon is among um so okay i had just now passed the period of my minority having reached the age of 21 years in the month of july previous deprived of the advice and the and assistance of my father with a wife dependent upon me for support i resolved to enter upon a life of industry and notwithstanding the obstacle of color and the consciousness of my lowly state indulged in pleasant dreams of a good time coming and the possession of some humble habitation with a few surrounding acres would reward my labors and bring me the means of happiness and comfort from the time of my marriage to this day the love i have borne my wife has been sincere and unabated and only those who have felt the glowing tenderness a father cherishes for his offspring can appreciate my affection for the beloved children which have since been born to us this much this much i deem appropriate and necessary to say in order that those who read these pages may comprehend the poignancy of those uh, sufferings I have been doomed to bear. Immediately upon our marriage, we commenced housekeeping, like house hyphen keeping, I don't know, in the old yellow building, then standing at the uh, southern extremity of Fort Edward Village, which has since been transformed into a modern mansion and lately occupied by Caf Captain Lathrop. Not Northrop, Lathrop? 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 I don't know. It is known as the Fort House. In this building, the courts were sometime 
held after the organization of the county. It was also occupied by Burgo oh, Burgoyne, I think, in 1777, being situated near the old fort on the left bank of the Hudson. During the winter, I was employed with others repairing the Champlain Canal. Um, on that section over which William Van uh, Nortwick was superintendent, David McEatron, something, I don't know, a lot of funny names I can't pronounce here, or at least I can't pronounce without stumbling, um, had the immediate charge of the men in whose company I labored. By the time the canal opened in the spring, uh, I was enabled from the savings of my wages to purchase a pair of horses and other things necessary, necessarily required in the business of navigation. Having hired several efficient hands to assist me, I entered into contracts for transportation of large, for the transportation of large, large rafts of timber from Lake Champlain uh, to Troy. Oh, did I say Champlain earlier? Yeah, Cham it's totally Champlain. <laughs> Pretty sure it's like Champlain, uh, to Troy. Dyer Beckwith and a Mr. Bartomey of Whitehall accompanied me on several trips. During the season, I became perfectly familiar with the art and mysteries of rafting, a knowledge which afterwards enabled me to render profitable service to a worthy master and to astonish the simple-witted lumbermen on the banks of the Bayou Boeuf. Um... In one of my voyages, why, why have I heard the term boof before? I don't know. I don't know. It's not Shia LaBeouf. It's not opera buffo, but like boof, boof. What is boof? I don't know. One of my voyages down Lake Champlain or in one of my voyages down Lake Champlain, I was uh, induced to make, not introduced, induced to make a visit to Canada, repairing to Montreal. I, Montreal, I visited the cathedral and other places of interest in that city, from whence I continued my excursion to Kingston and other towns, obtaining a knowledge of, hopefully not Kingston, uh, oh, of course I can't think of where Kingston is now. Um, it's like, it's a Caribbean city. It, it's either Haiti or it's not Dominican Republic, is it? I don't think so. Now, of course, I can't think of it. So I feel dumb <laughs> that it even popped into my head. But um, Obtaining a knowledge of localities, which was also of service to me afterwards, as will appear towards the close of this narrative. Having completed my contracts on the canal satisfactorily to myself and to my employer, and not wishing to remain idle now that the navigation of the canal was again suspended, I entered into another contract with Medad, uh, Medad, Medad, I don't know, M E D A D, Gunn, any relation to Sean Gunn and James Gunn, I don't know, um, to cut a large quantity of wood. In this business, I was engaged during the winter of 1831 to 32. With, this, with the return of spring, Anna and myself uh, conceived the project of taking a farm in the neighborhood. I had been accustomed from earliest youth to agricultural labors, and it was an occupation congenial to my tastes. I accordingly entered into arrangements for a part of the old Alden farm on which my fa father formerly resided. 
uh, with one cow, one swine, a yoke of fine oxen er, I had uh, lately purchased of Lewis Brown in Hartford, and other personal property and effects, we proceeded to our new home in Kingsbury. That year I planted 25 acres of corn, sowed a large field of oats, uh, sowed large fields of oats, and commenced farming upon as large a scale as my utmost means would permit. Um, Anne was diligent about the house affairs while I toiled laboriously in the field. On this place we continued to reside until 1834. In the winter season I had numerous calls to play on the violin. Wherever the young people assembled to dance, I was almost invariably there. Throughout the surrounding villages, my fiddle was notorious. <laughs> uh, Anne also, during her long residence at Eagle Tavern, had become somewhat famous as a cook. During court weeks and on public occasions, she was employed at high wages in the kitchen at Cheryl's Coffee House. We always returned home from the performance of these services with money in our pockets, so that, with fiddling, cooking, and farming, we soon found ourselves in the possession of abundance, and, in fact, leading a happy and prosperous life. Well, indeed, would it have been for us had we remained on the farm at Kingsbury, but the time came when the next step was to be taken towards the cruel destiny that awaited me. In March 1934, we removed to Saratoga Springs. We occupied a house belonging to Daniel O'Brien on on the north side of a Washington uh, on the north side of Washington Street. At that time, Isaac Taylor kept a large boarding house known as Washington Hall at the north end of Broadway. He employed me to drive a hack, uh, in which capacity I worked for him two years. After this time, I was generally employed through the visiting season, um, as also was Anne in the United States Hotel and other public houses of the place. In winter seasons, I relied upon my violin, though during the construction of the Troy and Saratoga Railroad, I performed many hard days' labor upon it. I was in the habit at Saratoga of purchasing articles necessary for my family at the stores of Mr. Cephas Parker and Mr. William Perry, gentlemen towards whom, for many acts of kindness, I entertained feelings of strong regard. It was for this reason that, twelve years afterwards, I caused to be directed to them the letter, which is hereafter inserted, and which was the means, in the hands of Mr. Northrop, of my fortunate deliverance. While living at the United States Hotel, I frequently met with slaves who had accompanied their masters from the South. They were always well-dressed and well-provided for, leading apparently an easy life, with but few of its ordinary troubles to perplex them. Many times they entered into conversation with me on the subject of slavery. Almost uniformly, I found they cherished a secret desire for liberty. Some of them expressed the most ardent anxiety to escape, and consulted me on the best method of effecting it. Effecting it. E-F-F. The fear or punishment, however, which they knew was certain to attend their recapture and return, in all cases proved sufficient to deter them from the experiment. Having all my life uh, breathed the free air of the North, and conscious that I possessed the same feelings and affections that find a place in the white man's breast, consciousness, moreover, of an intelligence equal to that of some men, at least with with a, oh some men at least with a fairer skin, I was too ignorant, perhaps too independent, to conceive 
how anyone, uh, that was two separate words, could be content to live in the abject condition of a slave. That was a long sentence. <laughs> uh, having all my life all the way to abject condition of a slave. Um, I could not comprehend the justice of what law or that or of that law or that religion which holds up or which upholds or recognizes the principle of slavery. And never once, I am proud to say, did I fail to counsel anyone who came to me to watch his opportunity and strike for freedom. I continued to reside at Saratoga until the spring of um, 1841. The flattering anticipations which seven years before had seduced us uh, from the quiet farmhouse on the east side of the Hudson had not been realized. Though always in comfortable circumstances, we had not prospered. The society and associations at that world-renowned watering place uh, were not calculated to preserve the simple habits of industry and economy to which I had been accustomed, but, on the contrary, to substitute others instead, or in their stead, tending to shiftlessness and extravagance. At this time, we were the parents of three children, Elizabeth, Margaret, and Alonzo. Um, sorry, Elizabeth, the eldest, was in her tenth year, Margaret was two years younger, and little Alonzo had just passed his fifth birthday. They filled our house with gladness. Their young voices were music in our ears. Many an airy castle did their mother and myself build for their little innocent, or for the little innocents. When not at labor, I was always walking with them, clad in their best attire, through the streets and groves of Saratoga. Their presence was my delight, and I clasped them to my bosom with as warm and tender love as if their clouded skins had been as uh, white as snow. That's an interesting way to say it. One, I would never describe a black person's skin as clouded. Um, because uh, Clouded seems less dark, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you know, not even the right color in general. Um, but as white as snow, uh, you, know, you, you love your kids. Clearly you don't have to say, I love them like they were white. <laughs> That's just weird. Um, thus the history of my family presents nothing whatever unusual, nothing but the common hopes and loves and labors of an obscure colored man making his humble progress in the world. But now I had reached a turning point in my existence, reached the threshold of unutterable wrong and sorrow and despair. Now I had approached within the shadow of the cloud into the thick darkness whereof I would soon disappear. See, that cloud metaphor makes more sense. Um, I would soon disappear, thenceward to be hidden from the eyes of all my kindred and shut out uh, from the sweet light of liberty for many a weary year. And that is the end of the chapter. Oh, um, well, uh, if you're interested in reaching out, you can find me on Twitter at reading poorly. You can email me reading comma poorly at gmail.com. That's comma spelled out R E A D I N G C O M M A P O O R L Y at gmail.com. I am surprised that I can do that <laughs> without stumbling so much, but I guess I've done it a few times at this point. Um, you can find me at any podcast app that I aware 
that I am aware of. Um, you, uh, I would love it if you'd rate and review uh, the the show. Um, if you have um, constructive critique or anything, I'd prefer it if you reach out to me first. Um, but you know, if you have something critical to say, and that's the only way you want to say it, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I won't stop you. Um, yeah, I'm gonna try and be at least moderately active on Twitter for at least the first couple weeks here. Um, and, uh, yeah, just to kind of, I don't know, ramp into 12 years of slave, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I was going to say. Um, no, I don't think so. So other than thank you for listening this long to me, not just randomly rambling about stuff and, Oh, hoping I'm not offending too many people (laughs) by, oh, by, you know, uttering the first thoughts in my head, but you know, reading poorly.